0: are back we are ready to bring you an interview with none other than gary lockwood how are people going to know gary lockwood miles
1: star trek fans are going to recognize him from uh the character he played uh uh, lieutenant commander gary mitchell in the second uh, pilot for star trek original series and uh, fans of the movie 2001 are going to recognize him from that movie. Right. So, I mean, he's like the
0: all-powerful guy in Star Trek, right? A-
1: exactly. and the
0: egomaniac or whatever you call He gets time. these
1: godlike powers and uh, tries to kill Captain Kirk and the crew. And uh, um, and, the, and the, the, the new comic books that have been released uh, uh, deal with that, too. I, I read the first comic book. It's pretty good. I went for the second one. It's a two-parter, so they, they couldn't finish the whole episode in, in one comics, so uh, I'll just wait for the uh, the second one to come out and tell you more about that when it comes in.
0: Oh, very good. You hope you'll
1: you have to listen. Yeah. No, definitely. But as far as interviewing Gary Lockwood, um, uh, you know, I mean, like you said, a bit old school. Um,
0: definitely old school.
1: Mm-hmm. And as you know, I'll just I'll just say and ask him some questions about maybe some of the what well, at least what I think are artistic merits of Star Trek. For him, you know, you know, what More interested
0: in it was a job. Yeah, it was. It was very much a job. Mm, Job, money, girls. You damn it. And if you
1: understand, you know, this was back in the '60s, um, and maybe even today, probably probably for a lot of actors, just getting a show, it's hey, it's work. Um, We can look at the maybe the artistic merits of it later on, but hey, at least I I got work. And and, 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 in that sense, it's it's good to. I mean, he he, the man is in his late '70s now, so he's done a ton of work afterwards. I mean, if you look at his IMDb page. the 70s 80s and 90s you've seen this guy in lots of stuff so yeah absolutely so so he's probably you know as far as actors you know from ages past i mean it was a um one of our first it was interesting interview yeah
0: it was a very good interview and kind of you know i guess our second one from the original series right
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: Yeah, so that's kind of cool, because we had Sally Pellman. That's right. So she'd have been in that same episode, which is kind of cool. We interviewed him back to back. Mm -hmm. It sure leaves, so it's at a con, so you're going to hear the con noise, because we did this on the con floor. Right. We didn't do that with all the actors, Mm -hmm. like with uh, Miss John. We interviewed him in a separate space that had a little bit of reverb, which you Mm -hmm. probably heard. But anyways, without further ado, this is our interview with Gary Lockwood. Check it out. We're on emergency power cells. Casualties: nine
2: dead. Gravity is down to point
3: eight. All decks, this is bridge
2: engineering. Emergency Gary. Gary, you all right? I'm a little weak for some reason, Jim, but I feel all right
1: now. Ladies and gentlemen, how often does a TV series get a second chance and given the opportunity to do a second pilot? Well, we know not very often. However, Star Trek: The Original Series is one of those shows, and our guest today is one of the people who helped make it happen. Not only has our guest made his mark on Star Trek, playing Lieutenant Commander Gary Mitchell, but also Doctor Frank Poole in the groundbreaking epic 2001: A Space Odyssey. He's also performed many great TV shows we know and love, like Night Gallery, Mission Impossible, The Six Million Dollar Man, Bionic Woman, Starsky and Hutch, Charlie's the Angels, The Fall Guy, McIver, Dark Skies. His IMDb page is a very impressive list of popular TV shows from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So it gives me great pleasure to, to introduce uh, Mr. Gary Lockwood. Mr. Lockwood, welcome and thank you for taking time to talk with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast.
3: Well, in listening to that introduction, I feel maybe I had to talk to you. Okay. You know, I mean, I feel pretty famous now.
1: <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> I, I think you're famous.
2: <laughs>
3: no, it's a pleasure. Thank you. No, no,
0: it's great having you here. I mean, you went from being a football player initially... To a stunt man, to an
3: actor, how how does that happen? Well, I was a football player, but what what I was is I was an English and art major, so I okay. wasn't like you know. Well, not uh, UCLA had on that team three doctors and seven attorneys, so it's the old days. Right, uh, it's all changed now. The, right. game, the game's different, but uh, <clears throat> I don't even know if they some of them can't read. Except the quarterbacks are all smart, <laughs> right. Right. But you went, uh, stuntman, How, how'd you get into stunt work? Well, and, and when I was a kid, I was in the rodeo as a performer. I, I trick rode with Monty Montana's group and uh, was a bit of a cowboy, you know. Did you
0: grow up on a farm?
3: Oh, yeah. My father was, um, my father is a man who put carrots in a bag called Bunny Love Carrots. Okay. And the cattle, we had about a thousand head. They were just an ancillary product. They ate the bad carrots. Right, right. Yeah. Right. But, um, you know, it was back in the old days when, yeah, my father was pretty famous. My father and my uncle, um, you know, first guy to put carrots in a bag, and um, it's he was my father was sort of always known as the guy who st- started self service in okay. markets. You know, because now you put it in a bag. Well, he started that with Piggly Wiggly way back in I don't know when. He came from Europe. My father was Polish. My mother was German talk about some interesting right. breakfasts and lunches. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the two of them, boy, they have right. loggerheads. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah.
3: Well, now, you know, that brings up, your name's not really Lockwood. No. no I'm, I'm, my real name's are right. Y-U-R-O-S-E-K. It was spelled differently, but my father changed it a little bit. And his first carrot brand was called Your Brand, which was the first three letters of Yurasic, why you are, and so he did it like this with a Y and then the U, and then the Y on the side, so that the U became common to both directions of why you are, and was called your brand. Yeah, my old man was a clever guy.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome.
3: Well, he didn't think much of me. I became an actor. He always kind of thought I was, you know. He'd look at me and go, "You are really easy money." You know, he he never was much into my career, but my mother liked the fact that I became an actor. But I didn't ever want to go back on that ranch. Oh
2: yeah, it's, yeah, hard it's work.
3: The pits. No, it's not the hard work. It's the pits. You know, your old man takes you out there when you're ten years old and drops you off in front of a half a mile of carrots and hands you a hoe and says, "I'll pick you up at lunch."
1: like California sun. Huh? Was this was this in California where you were growing up. In? Yeah. Yeah, hot California sun. Yeah. Yeah. I did acres
0: of asparagus growing up. If any a consolation, I had to have. Where? I live in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, the Amish country. Wow. So, it's a, so, I, so I you a and bit,
3: I know what that's uh, all. About. A little bit.
0: I didn't have ac- I didn't have acres and acres of it. I had a few acres of
3: it, and I oh. hated
0: it. I hate asparagus to this day because of it.
3: I know a bad joke on that. Do I Wanna know it? Go ahead, tell it. Yeah, the one where they go out and play Stoop Tag in the asparagus patch. Okay. <laughs> That's it.
1: <laughs> so you hear it shortleaf, uh, much to your the role of Star Trek in two thousand one. Uh grow up many cites Star Trek was influenced of the love of sci fi. However, you, you can't really do this, so what influenced you as an actor and, and in the sci fi roles that you, you
3: what influenced me in acting?
1: Yeah,
3: in acting and maybe a little bit in... Uh, why, why, why I became an actor? Yeah. Oh, God, guys. <laughs> you heard of Beautiful Women and Money? Right.
1: I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, I don't belong
3: it. to that. I, You know, <laughs> to. I just love to hear the roaring crowd. Man, I was... First off, I didn't have to work on my old man's ranch. Second of all, there was a lot of beautiful girls. And third of all, I made a lot of money. So, I mean... I got lucky, I did well, but, you know, you still got to throw your hat in the arena. Right. right. And I, I kind of started by accident anyway. I went to see about doubling an actor and the director asked me if I'd be in the movie. And, uh, you know, voila. And there you were. Did you have
0: influences, like science fiction influences as well growing up or not...
3: Well, you know, a little bit I did, only because, um I mean, I know if you're trying to see if there's a tie-in between this and what I ended up kind of doing a lot of, but um, actually, I did read some sci-fi, but I have a really good friend named Dick Smith, who was my pal. I was a quarterback, and I used to throw to Dick Smith. He was my tight end. Mm-hmm. And Dick Smith was the big sci-fi guy, and every once in a while, there was something really good, and he'd hand it to me, but... Sci-fi. I, I was more like into, you know, English literature. You know, okay. but but there was some sci-fi that I read, like Arthur Clarke. I read, you know,
2: uh-huh.
3: and uh, I think I read William Gibson. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, I, it wasn't specifically where I was, but when when sci-fi is good, it's great. You know. What do you like in English literature? Oh, that's that's tough. That's a tough. I'm an English major. I'm an English teacher. Give me five. I'm an English teacher at high school in Lancaster. Are you really? Yeah. Oh, well, that's so. a great way to make a living. Well, it's a... it's a, If it's you know, the kids are a pain in the ass, or... Sometimes. But I, you know what? I really enjoy my job overall. Yeah, of... I mean, that's the greatest.
0: I do. That's why, that's why I asked if you had a specific genre or era of English
3: literature that you appreciated more than others. Well, you know, I can't say I do. I know that, I know that the whole technique of writing has changed. You know, I originally wanted to be a novelist. Okay. And so you're gonna laugh, but I'm now writing my first one. (laughs) After all these years. Good. I'm an old man, and I'm, you know, in fact, my, my notebook is... There you go. You know, if there's a law, I'll just take some notes. I finally decided to do it. My wife talked me into it. So, who knows? We have a story to tell. Well, I'm not going to tell my story. I've already done that. I mean, this book here that I dictated about a lot of my career. But no, it's a just a story I have. You know, it's it's not like it's burning to come out of me, but I like the whole. I mean, you wouldn't know this about me, but I'm a Japanese woodworker. I'm a, I've am ai designed things. I'm an architect. I've designed some houses in the, around the country. And, you know, I'm one of those throwback guys, you know. So uh, anyway, what the hell was my point? Uh, you had asked me something about the English major, right? Yeah. Well, your favorite genre or era of English. Oh, okay. That's the reason it's hard to answer is that because the different writers have different styles, you know. In the in the old styles, automatically everybody says, "Oh, it's great. It was better." I don't know. The new writers are awfully good, some of them, and because of the whole direct, uh, not direct TV, the the whole sort of. Uh, Music video world, that old MTV kind of thing. Like, I'm reading a book right now. Well, I'm reading a couple of them right now. And, um, I don't even remember the name of this. It's The Last song on the Lonesome Dub by McMurtry. Okay. Larry McMurtry. Uh, okay. Do you know that one?
0: It's, it's, it's a uh, it's Woodrow
3: uh, Call and, and. It's like a West. Is a Western? Augustus McCray. And, and I think in the story, they come on Lonesome Dub. Okay. And it's just a little pueblo, like with four buildings. Right. And later on, in the old in the other books, it was a bigger, right? One like so. that was a town. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been a while since I read, but those were great yeah. books. You know, I mean, those, those were nice books. And uh, did he write the Last Picture Show?
0: I don't know. Do I know? don't remember.
3: I don't know. You're asking him. Is he a major as well? No, no,
0: he's not. But if he but if he knows any minuscule fact about something, I go to him because he has a great memory for. Oh, here's your go-to guy.
1: He is. I'm a fountain of useless information. That's what he tells. No, me No, no, dude.
3: Oh, ever look at life like that? <laughs> you never can know enough. Right. I'm a bit of a poker player. I was a poker player as a kid. You know. You never can know too much. That's true. Right. That's right.
1: true. That's so be.
3: I'm going to just answer his Hold question. On,
1: sorry. Okay.
3: What what I What I keep not being able to specifically tell you is that the, the writing styles have changed according to the rapidity and the activity of, of, of the current society. Right. So the writers are now doing shorter chapters, you know. I mean, I've been reading a few books the last few years, and I've noticed that. Right. And so in my book that I'm attempting to write, I'm, I'm kind of taking heed of that. But I've read so many great books in my life, but it's pretty difficult, from Saul Bellow to you know. I mean, I even signed with some of my autographs. It was the best of times, you know. Right, right. You know what I mean? Uh, if you're a reader, you're a lucky person. So you're lucky you make a living in that. You're too young yet to probably really appreciate. It. But at this age, what the hell is there other than books? You know, there's a good movie once in a while, but not too often. But, you know, a lot of great books.
1: This Star Trek-related question. Um, when you first started Star Trek, was this your first work in uh, sci-fi? Or have you done anything else before, any sci-fi-related before Star
2: Trek?
1: Probably I had.
3: I just don't remember. You know, I, I did a lot of jobs. I was a, you know, a pretty successful actor. I mean, I got a lot of work. So, uh... I would think not, but
2: you know,
3: I can't think of anything. But you know, possibly.
2: Gary, okay. are you are you
3: here? Yeah. Get out of. Here. Come back when there's time. Are you gonna get her?
0: Oh yeah, we got her. We got her. Sally, wife. they already got you.
3: I mean, I didn't mean it like that.
0: We're, we're interviewing her later, 6 o'clock. I didn't mean it like that.
3: I don't know, Sal. You had a pretty good run.
1: <laughs> now, being that this was the second pilot that was filmed for Star Trek, was there a feeling among the cast that, that they hit on the show that it was going to take off?
3: No. no. Really? No. No, called me up and said, you know... Uh, I made this pilot, and uh, it didn't sell. And, you know, basically, they kind of said, you know, to get me and let me be the guest star. He paid me handsomely. What was handsomely back then? Well, I can't go into that. Okay. Okay. I thought it. You can work on it. All
2: right.
3: it <laughs> uh, took care of me. Right. And so I did the pilot. But the thing is, I didn't even read the damn script. I just showed up, and next thing I know, they put these contact lenses on me, and it was hell. So it was the worst job I ever had in terms of, uh, you know what I'm saying? The worst job I ever had.
0: Because of the contact lens. Oh,
3: yeah. I mean, at the end, I couldn't. Like Sally, see, she doesn't, in the story, become inflicted until a little bit later. So oh. she didn't wear them as many days. I wore them like maybe after six days, seven days we shot. I must have worn them four or five. And at the end, oh, man, I couldn't keep them in very long. Like see, also, they had different film speeds, so they'd put a lot more light on you. So it'd heat up. And, oh, God, it was terrible. And then I've just made an absolute fortune signing autographs on it. Right. Well, not a fortune, but, I mean, you know, all kinds of extra money. It's remodeled a bunch of my houses. Right. <laughs> so, so it's helped in that way, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Starship is about telling stories and addressing social moral issues. I rewatched Where No Man Has Gone Before not too long ago, and it was still spoken to about the message. I believe it was telling me that even good people can be corrupted by having great power. Uh, would that be kind of a correct way to read that, read that episode? That
0: well,
3: yeah. I mean, you have to remember that in drama, it's, he'll tell you it's conflict. You know, I was hired to, you know, be off by chat. You know, I mean, I I was a guy that was running out of control. And, and you know, the, the it's the formula of TV. You have an hour to do that, you know. And uh, I'm not a big TV watcher. And for that reason, because when I'm watching a story, everybody goes, Oh, this is really good show or that's a really great show. The problem with these shows is like, if it starts at eight o'clock, at 10 of nine, whoever walks through the door is going to be guilty. And we're going to go to their house and find them or they're going to, you know, I mean, I don't want the television. It's fine and everything for people who come home and want to turn something on. I like to watch sports and movies on. I belong to the direct TV. I get the football package, you know, for okay. th- up to 360 bucks. I just right. got it for the new. But you know, I mean, I live here and in Canada and up there I'm watching every damn game on Sunday and my wife doesn't, no one bothers me on Sunday, you know. Just the hell of the world. Right, right. Because I love pro football. So the formula of TV
0: bothers you sometimes? Basically. Yeah. It does.
3: I'm being very candid with you. I mean, and I'm not run. trying to be a smartass. No, no, but, but it,
2: it is. It
0: is it, great, it,
3: right? it, it, it has to be that way. I what, mean what, I think what I'm trying to say is that there's no way around it. I mean, t- TV is designed to sell beauties, you know. I mean, it has, it, it's not free. Right. I mean, you can turn it on, but, and I, I'll tell you what somebody taught me once when I first wondered about television and ratings and all that, and then, and they later made that movie Network. Patty Chayefsky uh, did a night nice, wonderful job of writing Network. There is an interesting concept because it's all about ratings. If you don't get the ratings, you're out of there. And and, and people will say, boy, I remember a show with George C. E. Scott, East Side, West Side. What a great show. Why did that go off the air? Didn't get the ratings. Sure, it was a great show. One of the best maybe on television. George C. Scott was one of the best actors that ever walked the earth, but the point that I'm trying to make didn't get the rating.
1: I just got off. So man, you and, and
3: and a guy once explained it. He said the demographics. I know it's all changed with cable now and so many channels. He said, if you buy time in the top twenty shows or top fifty shows, whatever, if you buy commercial time. And in six weeks, you'll have exposed your product to more people than ever saw all of Clark Gable's movies, and he was the king of cinema. Oh yeah! Wow, that's incredible. See, that's a big number. Oh, I just so came. I mean, you you come along with Popper Crack or cereal, you know, your Kellogg's or whatever right, the right. hell you are, and you guys have a board meeting and go. Why don't we come out with a new cereal that's Rice crispy and got chocolate in it? Oh, wow, that's really a smart-ass idea. How do you know? Yeah, it's all sugar. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Put the little bunnies on sugar. So they buy time on the top 20 shows, and takes a lot of gamble out of the product. Oh, yeah. But people can't get into that because television's their friend. They come home, they turn it on. It's like a roommate. You know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, nothing new. If you don't believe me, watch a network. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, and it's, it does. It has to sell product. It don't, does. It doesn't sell product.
1: They're kind of to best in the show. That's right, man. Now, yeah. in this day and age, it seems a show, if it doesn't, you know, first few episodes, doesn't get an audience.
3: See, in our day, they bought 13. So, you had a chance I did The Lieutenant. I only lasted one year. I was opposite Jackie Gleason. Actually, at the end, we were making inroads on him. We started to develop an audience. But we had a pretty good show, and Roddenberry, who produced Star Trek, wrote it. And the Marine Corps, they knew they were going to Vietnam, so a lot of Politically, I think, I got off a little bit, too, because of that. But, uh... Right after that, Cooper call, so I I could have cared less. Right, that was, you know, the best. I mean, not the best job I ever had, but the most interesting job I ever had was, and I loved Stanley Cooper. He was brilliant, so it was a lot of fun. You know, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, a lot of brilliant people. The two Californians were Doug Trumbull and myself what was funny is we lived a mile apart on a mountain in Malibu okay lots of space
2: you know alright I said hey
3: man you're from California because California they're different than other people not that they're cool or uncool but they're a little bit cool and it, I walked by and I nodded to a couple of guys and one guy looked up and went you know like have it's not the New York nod it's like right. it's a different nod it's a different nod it's like much more subtle you know yeah, it's a California thing. How's the surf? Pretty you good. Know, My right.
1: wife was born in California. She can she she would probably agree with you. Huh? My wife was born in California. She lived, she lived the first ten years of her life in California before her family moved out here. So I'm sure she can. Well, she'll me. tell you. Yeah, she'll tell me.
3: Yeah, I remember once I when I'd got a movie Splinter in the Grass and I had, we went upstate on location, you know, with a whole bunch of young guys. And I had a reasonable good role, but there was a bunch of extras and young guys. And we we're all going up to High Falls, Connecticut or somewhere like that, upstate New York, to start shooting. And the the company asked me if I'd get on the bus because, you know, I had to go work that day. And, I mean, according to the guild I had, I was entitled to a car, you know, a limo. I said, I don't mind, man. So I get on the bus and I'm walking down the aisle and there was one guy from San Diego. I remember, I remember, I remember walking by, and the guy just kind of looked up at me. I looked at him. And I went, he went, you know, it's just
0: right. That smile.
3: It's just uh, you know, another Californian. Yeah, another guy like, yeah, everything's cool, and we Right, Right. <laughs> California guys roll joints with one hand. <laughs>
1: I'll take your word on that one. All right. Well, you know what I'm saying. It's a joke. Right,
3: right. In a wind storm. Right, right. Okay.
1: Now, I know you were at Vegas Con last year, and now you're with us at Shore Leave. Do you plan on making more convention appearances? I'm sorry? You were at Vegas Con last year, and now we have you here at Shore Leave. Are you going to make some more convention appearances?
3: Not at all. Okay. No, no, I'm I'm doing very few. Very, very few. Yeah, I used to do a lot of But uh, when I lived back east, when my wife was taking care of her family and I, I, I'm i not really in love with the East. I mean, it was all right. But I got a little crazy living here. Everybody eats too much pizza. So anyway, uh, it was all right. You know, I mean, I I lived in uh, Seagirt on the shore and uh, down on the Jersey Shore. Had a great boardwalk. Right. And there was a restaurant called Rod's that had a great chopped salad. <laughs>
2: But, I mean, you know, it's not my thing. Not
3: your thing. You know, it's all right. But, uh, you know.
1: Now, you're writing a book, but are you doing any other acting? No,
3: I retired 18 years ago. I've done, like, one show or since then. I think I did Dark Skies. Like. It was a lot of fun, too. Yeah, I think that's the last job I ever actually did. Is that in the late 90s? that late
0: 90s or late 80s? No, I don't even know. I don't even know. I should look in your IMDb. Yeah. Be there, but yeah. Now, what was it
3: like working with Kubrick? That's the greatest. So See, that's a. I, I used to be a smart ass and say, know. "Oh, I've never been asked that." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but I, because you're an English major, I let you off the hook. Right. didn't you. say... And I said, yeah. "Now uh, he was, you know, what do you I mean the the brightest guy that was ever out there?"
0: I mean, talk about a movie that has really helped define. The genre of science fiction. I mean, in high school, this was mid mid-eight, mid-eighties, late-eighties, and I remember seeing it on Laserdiscs. One of the big, you remember? You oh know, yeah, big, I have one. It's a big laserdisc, and one of the first movies I watched on it was two thousand one Space Odyssey. Of course, this is what ten, fifteen, and a years little after. dinky screen. Right, right, a little dinky screen, which totally didn't do it justice. But you know, it had such an impact that movie when it came out in the eight. Did you realize as it was being made? We asked this
3: for Star Trek, but. You... Go ahead. Okay, this is a very interesting point that you are not aware of, that you've stumbled into. I was the only person who said a lot of things. You know the word encomium? Uh, no, enlighten me. I should. Okay, well, oh. it's, you know, it's a when you're when you're honoring something okay. when are saying when you're praising you know and encomium, right. right. And on the tour to you know, to sell it, I was saying things like, I think we made one of the best movies ever and stuff like that. And I was really took heat. Because, you know, I was a bit of a smart ass in my career. And and, and chased a lot of beautiful girls and drove Ferraris and you know, and the right. East Coast the Liberals didn't like me and thought I was a redneck or gotten Something you know, but I, I voted for Obama for Christ's sake. This, you know, <laughs> right. you know what I mean. I grew up a ranch, but I left. But because of my prowess and chasing the chicks and being a wild bastard, I used to get a lot of bad press.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I got a lot of bad press for saying that I think we made one of the best movies ever. I was really taken to task, and it really resonated with me in a bad way. Because I knew I was right. And I and, and and if you ask me why I knew I was right, there are a lot of people out there who may hear that and say, well, I never liked that movie, and I think you were wrong. But 2001 was a, a direction changer, now, as move, certain movies are. You know, like, I haven't seen a really great movie since No Country for Old Men. That was a great movie. And a direction changer. In some way, somewhere, in some way, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I mean, there are these movies that come along, and then they and everything goes that way. They, you know, I mean, they can do the transformer all they want. I might see it on direct T V one night, right. but I'm not going to go pay them. For it. Yeah, right. I, I don't. I'm not interested. In right. that. oh, okay, cute. You know, fine. There's no story, nothing happening. Right. You know, it's not my thing. But I had seen Kubrick movie. The first time I ever saw a Kubrick movie was called The Killing. Okay. I saw the movie. You've got to remember now, I'm a ranch kid. You know, I'm like 15, 16 years old. But Whenever I could get away from that damn ranch, I loved movies. And when I was real young, I used to ride my horse to the, the local cinema. And, and the old man would let me tie it, and I could go in the movies for 10 cents. Right. So I saw a lot of movies in my life. And as I got older and was able to drive, I would drive to downtown L.A. when it wasn't where you'd get killed. I drive to downtown L.A. I'd park my car at Pershing Square and go to all these old cinemas, you know, 800, eight hundred, nine hundred, thousand seat cinemas, and see all these. And I'd see art films, and you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. California had a, a lot of movie houses, and there were these. I remember seeing Ophelie Negro, you know, the the great movie that came from Brazil. It's mm-hmm. all these great films. And then later, when I lived in New York, I used to go down to Forty Second Street and see all the great films. So I, I grew up kind of a not a film student but I mean I saw Kubrick's movie The Killing and everything stopped because that's the first time I ever walked out of the lobby to see who made the movie wow. I don't mean the stars right? and I walked over because you, now here's the other part I won a national poster contest for my art when I was in high school mm-hmm. so I had an artist kind of mind a photographer mm-hmm. artist painting mm-hmm. you know Kind of right. mine. I've also designed homes, you know, so you, you know, kind of tells you who I am. Right. I didn't know why the killing was so good because I wasn't smart enough. I didn't grow up in New York walking around talking movies every day. I didn't have anybody to develop that side of my brain. But I remember being that young and looking at the lobby going, man, this is interesting. So I looked down to Stanley Cooper. Was it taking too long? Am I like, cool? No, you're fine. Oh, okay. So I look at it, because this played a big deal in my life. And so I look at it, and I go, Stanley Kubrick. Wow. I know these directors. I don't know how movies are made. You know, I don't know the process, but, you know, this guy, boy, this was really an interesting movie. The way it looked and everything right. about it, the dialogue, you know, really appealed to me. So... Cut print. I'm at UCLA and I'm playing football. And they have out there in September what they call the devil winds. The Indians call them devil winds. They're called Santa Ana's, and the desert heats up. And even though I lived in Malibu on the beach, I was one of those. I drove a Porsche. Okay. Talk about a different guy. And I I rent a beach house and I'm on my, in my Porsche and I was a moneylender in school and football tickets I sold. I was, you know, one of those guys. I had cash. I wake up this morning, and it's like 105 in Malibu, and that's never 105 in Malibu. I go, oh, man. And it's September, double session football practice. Okay. And I wake up, and I go, and I, I take the paper, the L.A. Times. I get up and go out to get my paper. It's like six in the morning. I Had to be at training table eight o'clock. I live about twenty-five minutes from Westwood at Big Rock Beach, and I go. Was, Fuck, man, you know I can't do the practice today, man. <laughs> and that was the kind of guy I didn't I didn't give a shit if I got kicked off. Right, I just didn't care. I love the game. <laughs> Brought me a lot of chicks and things, but I mean. I didn't, you know what I'm saying? Right. I didn't want to play pro ball. Or, you know, I, I was always getting hurt. Screw it. And there was no money in it in those days. So I I got up, and I'm like, whoa, Jesus. So I drive into town, and everybody was kind of used to me being the hustler, you know? Mm-hmm. So I get my tray of food, and, and I call them the Nazis, and all the coaches are like about seven, eight of them are lined up. They're all eating their morning breakfast it's two a day sessions and i get my tray and i turn around a couple of my buddies still laugh about it. a couple of them that i still see and i he said they said we, we saw it and i did it on the cuff i just turned around and said coach i can't come to practice today <laughs> and you got to remember the time nine eighteen nazi eyes <laughs> pour a hole through me Right. What? <laughs> what you talking about, God damn it. And I said, Coach, I can't come to practice today. I got a ticket this summer in, uh, in, in San Luis Obispo. I got to be in court in there by about 1130 today. If you had any brain, you'd know that you had to go to court at nine, right? Right. Nobody said shit. So I go sit down and my buddies are, they're all, you know, they're with me. Nobody said a word. And I sit down and my buddies go, my mother, you're not going to San Santa are you? I go, yeah, yeah, I got a ticket. I wouldn't break, you know, because <laughs> I knew somebody would blow my cover. I opened up the newspaper that morning and saw that Stanley Kubrick, his movie Paths of Glory was opening in Hollywood. I drove my Porsche to Brahma's Chinese, which was across the street from the Paramount, and I saw Paths of Glory four times, and they went back to dinner at the training table. It's a true story. And then I said, You ever see Paths of Glory? I have not. Oh, man. Over the top, really. And now I'd seen two films of his, and I said, well, that's it. You know, this is a guy... That... So I don't know, by the time I actually became an actor and he called on me, I think, I would say about seven years had passed. Mm-hmm. My agent called me up and said, uh, you've been offered the lead in Stanley Kubrick's new movie called 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I went, wow, Space Odyssey and Kubrick. And I turned to my agent, or on the phone, I said... Tell me something. My agent was famous. Dick, you know, Jimmy Dean, Ronald Brando, who's yeah. Jane Fonda. I said, hey, Dick, what's it going to cost me? And that's my answer to it. You. Mm. you know, but the, the formality of the business is the offer comes, you say yes, the offer goes back. Right, It's a deal from that second offer. You can't get out of it. It's a very tight business that way. They act an offer goes to an actor. He says yes. The agent says to the producer, "Yes." At that point, you owe it. So, wow. That's yeah. great.
2: Awesome.
3: So, of course, when I got there and I saw the sets and everything, I knew. Man. So later on, I'm in front of the writers and all, and, 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 and there was a lot of East Coast press, and you know, because I got honored by the Writers' Academy. Okay. And I said something about it right there. And I said, Man, you guys from the East Coast, you know, you think you're the big apple and you know everything going on in the planet and you're the center of the universe. You didn't know anything. Because every critic in New York hated our movie. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, yeah. And there isn't a movie, very few movies have that kind of legs. Citizen Kane. 2001. You have to have been in it to understand
2: the in-
3: impact of it. Oh yeah. I'll be right with you. You have to have been in it to understand the impact of it because I've lectured on it all over the world. Uh, it's not so much isolated pictures. It's just the type of person that comes to you to talk about it. It's, you know, I told you about the guys who bought all the pictures and software business you know I told you about that right it's a you know a lot of a lot of people with a good brain really love the movie guys come to you and they say you know I was in med school I dropped out and went into technology And you, people say things like that to me you know so it had a big impact with a certain type of person sure. Not so much female, but mostly male. So.
1: Is their career different career? Uh, well, dads, it, you know? it, it was
3: a change for them. You know, they went, they took their lives in a new direction after they had seen it. You know, so it's, it was just a little brief moment of glory where I could get back at those people who hated it. One one critic wrote that Gary Lockwood came into Chicago wearing a three-piece suit looking like a Southern California count. And I had all kinds of shitty things said to me because of who I was as a person. Right. But eat your heart out.
1: Right. That's right.
3: Eat your heart out. Man, I did it. You didn't. So... It's like a young dude comes up and goes, hey man, 74 is not old, it's just a number. I say, yeah, you can say it because you got the good number, I got the bad number. <laughs> yeah. yeah, life is getting old sucks because life was so much fun as a kid. I surfed, traveled the whole world, had a great time. But I, I the best part of my life, other than the birth of my kid, was working for Cooper he was brilliant and you know it was, uh, I came up with lip reading I don't know if you knew that no did you see the movie right yeah yeah, numerous times yeah well that's there was a day one day when uh, as long as you're that interested in it I'll tell you want to hear it sure you know when I did that show with the astronauts I came home with a lot of hundred dollar bills because <laughs> the, some of the astronauts like get three four hundred dollars like Aldrin gets $400 a signature. Wow. Well, believe me, second guy to step on the move. He should, yeah. uh, should command it uh, a good yeah. price today. Yeah. Demand. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. nice to be
2: around there, right? Because you've got a lot of good crowd coming through, too. right?
3: Oh, I made a lot of money. But, I mean, you know, when you, you know, I made quite a few thousands of dollars. But, I mean, he, we were there four days. You'd look over, and he would just have a line... 400 a pop. I don't actually get along with him. Aldrin and I don't like each other. And he shows up in my life when they honored it, me at the Writers Guild.
0: Okay. He was there. there.
3: <laughs> what happened was Aldrin, some guy wanted us to meet one day it's because, you know, he played an astronaut. So this guy sets up a lunch in Brentwood, California and I said, well, what, what, what am I going to do with this guy? I've met a lot of famous people. I don't particularly want to go. You know, what He goes... So I go and the guy doesn't like me or he doesn't, he's a nasty guy and he doesn't like the fact that he's there. He did it because, you know, so I sit down with him and he's not very pleasant and you get the vibe, you know, you get to like, and I'm a poker player and, you know, reading people is my game and I just go, so how are you? I'm fine. So the guy that gets us together goes to the bathroom. And I turn to Aldrin and I'm amen. I can tell with your body language you're not real happy about meeting a little lowly actor. And I'm not real nuts about meeting you. You're kind of a surly guy. So how about this? I'll get up and split, and you get up and split, and we'll forget about it. Wouldn't, hey,
2: fuck it. Right.
3: I didn't. I didn't go there with bad vibes. Right. Yeah. You know, but that's his problem. not you know. So he he fucked off, and I fucked off, and i would probably hooked up with him like four or five times since. Oh
2: wow!
3: It's funny. It is. You keep running into. Well, no, it's situation. Right. Yeah. Like down in Tucson
1: going to have an astronaut
3: here this weekend. No, huh? well,
1: they, they were. Oh, they were? Yeah, it's oh. not. It's canceled. Because okay. anyway, he saw the okay. shuttle launch. today. Right. Okay,
3: they were supposed to have an astronaut here this weekend, but I guess that got canceled. There's some really cool astronauts. Uh, a couple of them have kind of become pals of mine. Rick, Rick Surface, shuttle commander.
0: All right, well, thank you so much for taking time to interview us. Thanks for the great stories.
1: Takes pawn. Okay. Bishop takes knight's pawn. A
2: oh,
1: lovely move. Uh
2: rook to king one. I'm sorry, Frank. I think you missed it.
1: Queen to Bishop three. Bishop takes queen. Knight takes bishop. Mate. Uh,
2: yeah, it looks like you're right. I thank you for a very enjoyable game yeah